Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of On Point. Thanks to everyone for your feedback of late, your questions, suggestions of new speakers. Um, really fabulous. So thanks, everyone. Uh, today, it's my pleasure to have my uh, good friend and a man who needs no introduction, uh, Bob McCroskey. In fact, so famous, he takes my panel spots on Brendan Malone's talks from time to time, and there's probably a great improvement. But for those who don't know Bob, uh, where have you been? Um, he's the National Director of Family First, uh, Campaigns for Strong Families, uh, Campaigns for Consistent Policy Making across a whole range of areas, doesn't matter if it's life issues, uh, drugs, obviously we have things like the conversion therapy bill at the moment, uh, and others. I mean, Bob, welcome. I don't know how you do it all. Uh, good to be with you, Simon. Well, I could probably say the same back at you. You're covering a whole lot of issues and uh, front and centre on, on key topics. So, um, yeah, the respect goes both ways. Before we jump into the big topic of parental consent, because actually it's something which people have been raising uh, with me recently, and you'll be familiar too, uh, even with the vaccination rollout here in New Zealand, there was a bit of controversy. But before we get into that, what are some of the, the issues that you and Family First are looking at at the moment? Well, we've sort of come out of a very busy season of uh, referendums on euthanasia and uh, cannabis legalisation and uh, the very extreme abortion law which was passed. And now we're into a new season of uh, continued uh, threats of of uh, conversion therapy bans, hate speech legislation. Um, we might touch on the birth, deaths and marriages bill and the whole rigmarole around birth certificates and whether a, a state document should tell the truth or whether you can just choose what goes on it. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of issues uh, happening at the moment uh, and the critical theory as well, the issues being taught in school, sex education, gender ideology. Um, so lots of activity, certainly there's certainly no sleeping in this house, unfortunately. No, I, I must admit, um, obviously follow uh, your work and I'm just amazed at just how many issues there are, although without getting down into the, the overall rabbit hole of sort of the, the cultural change, it's all interlinked. It's all interlinked in a way, and it's very much a rejection of anything that's of the past. That's how it looks to me. Yeah, to me, it, it sort of um, smacks of this message of the state knows how to raise your children and will tell you how to do it. And that's different to what has been previously, which has been that we've respected parents, we've said that parents, uh, as long as you know, you're know you raising your children, caring for your children, feeding your children, loving them, then we'll, we'll be hands off. We'll let you raise your kids uh, to be law abiding and responsible citizens for the future. And then we had this nanny state um, sort of in the um, mid 90s, early 2000s, and that effectively increased this reach of the, of the government into family life and told parents, hey, we're watching you. I mean, our new Governor-General-to-be, Cindy Kiro, at the time was Children's Commissioner, and she wanted basically every child to be registered with a, a social worker uh, as soon as they were born. This kind of, you know, what it implied, I think, and that was the insulting thing, was parents, we really don't trust you, and we really do need to keep an eye on you. And look, you know, we all know exceptions to the rule. We all know parents that shouldn't be parents. You know, they... They did the conception, but that's about as far as they, they got in terms of showing responsibility. 
Uh, and sure, we need to we need to work with those families, but to lump all parents in with this kind of we've got to keep an eye on you, it sent a it sent a harmful message because it undermined the role and importance of parents, and it also took away their responsibility as well. Probably actually a really good way to to segue into the whole parental consent and why it's important. But look, it won't surprise that I agree with you. I, I've seen in my little life, the continuing overreach of, of government into our lives. It probably reflects, uh, well, my politics is obvious. Um, I'm on the centre-right and it's because I want less government. Um, and, you know, when I initially got involved with politics, it was around matters of, you know, I don't know, the economy, for want of a better example. And yet, even in my short time in Parliament, uh, the government's interference in, in family life is in how you raise your children, what you're allowed to say, what you're allowed to think. Um, encroaching further and further. And I, I I despair at times, actually, of how many Kiwis just capitulate. It's like, oh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've created these kids, but, um, yeah, the state can feed them, clothe them, indoctrinate them. I'm, I'm okay with that. And it's like I I can't conceptualise it, if that's not a bad pun on birth and children, conceptualise. I don't know. Um, <laughs> well, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, it's human nature, isn't it? I mean, we all want a, and I better say, free lunch, inverted commas, uh, I mean, I know that it's both um, happening, but it's it's that um, kind of statement that uh, parents will always take an easier option if there's one available. Hey, why do I have to get up early in the morning and, and prepare lunch for my kids before they go to school if I know there's going to be one prepared and waiting for them at school? So uh, e- even if I even if I think I should be in charge and I'm the boss, uh, if someone's going to do some work behind the scenes for me and it's free and paid by the taxpayer, then... Uh, oh, well, I'll take it and I'll sit back. And I think that's probably why we're a bit laissez-faire about it all uh, as parents. But I think we need to ask ourselves, my challenge to parents is just how far do you want the state to enroach in terms of what's happening? And unfortunately, a classic example is is the indoctrination going on in our schools around sexuality and gender. I One thing I really like about lockdown is that parents are actually seeing the curriculum. And uh, so there's this kind of crossover of um, state schooling and homeschooling. And suddenly parents are are saying, what's that stuff on the screen? What's this stuff you're reading? What's this material that they've sent you? I think it's great. I I think lockdown has been an eye-opener for so many parents to actually see what um, some of the material that's being taught, which and we've surveyed on this just recently, actually, around the issue of critical theory and whether that should be taught. But we also asked, you know, what do you think as parents should be the priority? And, of course, we all come back to the three R's, reading, writing, arithmetic. Mm-hmm. You know, that's generally why parents send their kids to school, because they want to prepare them for life. Uh, they don't want them indoctrinated on critical race theory and uh, gender ideology. So uh, I, I think lockdown's done done families a huge favour. Yeah, well, I must say on that uh, particular element, it's. I think you're right. I think parents need to, if any parents are listening, I'm sure there are, look closely at what is being taught to your kids. Um, I, my wife and I have been surprised at times, um, well, our kids have, well, stepkids in my case, have grown up, but actually some of the stuff years ago that they were being uh, taught. Uh, but why I raise it is not just that it was absolute rubbish, 
Um, but you as parents still have the ability, and as we did, to, to push back, to demand to talk to the teacher, the head of the school, to say, what is this absolute uh, rubbish? So I suppose one underlying current today is to encourage parents not only to understand what's being taught, but to stand up. Um, you still, if you will, control the schools. The government tries to, but actually parents can have um, a voice. And they say critical race theory, the idea that um, one race is good and one race is bad. I mean, that's just a recipe for disaster, and they're teaching this to children. Well, it's a divisive recipe because it, beca it becomes a them and us, and it, it gets kids to identify each other based on their race, and most kids don't care. They just... All they're concerned about is what what what's in their lunchbox and who are they going to play with at playtime. They're not thinking about gender normality and um, you know uh, racial racial critical race theory. Um, but uh, my encouragement to parents is to keep actively involved and ask to see these resources, and you have a right to do that. And if and and look, I get contacted by parents who say they've asked to see certain resources and. The school hasn't been up that upfront about disclosing them. Like a number of parents have asked, can we see the sexuality education? Could we see the mates and dates program that's being taught in some schools? Uh, and the school is really slow or is just belligerent and not giving them material. And I say to the parents, that immediately is a red flag. Uh, you need to keep asking and demanding it and use your rights to withdraw your children from any of those types of programs. The, okay. the other bit of advice I give is if you're concerned about what's going on at school and you're not getting much success with either the teacher or the principal, go to the board of trustees because remember yep. the board of trustees is made up of parents and they have a vested interest in the school just as you do and have that um, meeting with them. And you can get breakthrough. It can be done. We've written a couple of reports, which you can see on our website, of how to um, work with schools in a, in a positive, productive way and get good results. Sometimes these schools just aren't quite aware of just what's going on or the concerns of parents. And when you speak up, it's actually a great resolution. We've found that's happened many times. I think that's actually a really key message um, I've certainly found in the political realm that most people will find if they speak up on an issue like this, and I'm thinking of actually one I was involved with with a local school with my um, stepkids, separate to the one I referenced earlier. Um, yeah, we did go to the board uh, and found that pretty much all the parents there were in agreement. In fact, the majority of parents were in agreement uh, with the issue. But before that moment, uh, a lot of people sort of, it was only the loud, shrill people pushing for a very different agenda. They seemed to be dominant. And the problem is that so many good families, good parents go quiet. They don't want to cause trouble. Well, maybe my view's a bit on the outside. And you go, no, most of the time, actually, you'll find that the majority are with you. You're just being encouraged to be quiet. So, yes, yeah, speak up. As you say, go to the board. Be constructive. Because nine times out of ten, you'll find that everyone's actually on your side and you can bring about some positive change for you and your kids. I think so, the, the, the problem is that uh, there has been this underlying push around the parental consent issue, and I think you, you, you wanted us to just touch on that a little bit, didn't you, Simon? Yeah, well, exactly. Well, we've seen in recent days the whole question of parental consents come up, uh, initially around uh, vaccinations. Um, but why don't you elaborate, if you want, on that and some of the wider issues, because it's not just around the New Zealand vaccination program. There's been a number of challenges to parental consent in recent weeks, months and even years. 
Yeah, I think there's been a trend. I mean, uh, in, I mean, the classic example, of course, is that if your child wants a Panadol, you have to sign a note um, yep. for them to have that Panadol. But if they want an abortion, uh, then they can be sneaked off for an abortion without you even being told about it. And that 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 particular law was reinforced in the um, the abortion law passed last year, the, the, the very extreme abortion law that New Zealand mm. now has. That that hasn't been the only example. There's also uh, been the recent example around the vaccinations. And look, whether you're for or against vaccinations, whatever you stand on that, what the Ministry of Health came out with their advice uh, originally, and, and let me just quote it, they they said, as a, as, and this is for 12 to 15-year-olds, as a 12 to 15-year-old, your parent or guardian's permission is not required. Mm. Straight-out statement like that. Now, uh, the good thing was that uh, when we saw this, we um, made some noise about it, and uh, lo and behold, very quietly in the middle of the night, uh, a little bit like the fishing customary rights, the um, the, the guidelines were changed, and uh, that statement is taken out. Now, the statement is no, still not perfect, but what it does is that it's taken away this direct statement to 12 to 15 year olds hey actually mum and dad aren't in charge the state's in control you come to us we'll look after you and that that kind of messaging simply uh undermines parents there's also been the recent example which is still ongoing uh, uh, which isn't part of the conversion therapy bill which is being considered at the moment and that was around the issue of whether a 12 year old could be told by their parents no you can't go on puberty blockers you can't wear chest binders uh, honey, you're a girl and um, you're our daughter, we love you and you know, let's deal with the issues. Um, that would be criminalised under this bill. Mm -hmm. And so once again, parents are getting this message that actually they're not in the driving seat, they're not raising their child. So, so on all these kind of uh, extreme issues of abortion and, and puberty blockers, suddenly parents, you're not responsible, but hey, parents, if anything goes wrong or if there's any discipline issues or if we need any fees, uh, we'll be coming to you because you're the parent and you're responsible. And I, and I actually saw this classic example that someone sent me of a, of a uh, permission slip that was uh, given to a parent and it was for a 90-minute trip to a museum. Okay, so they were going to the museum and it was just for an hour and a half to do some research for their subject. And the permission slip form was one of these Google Google permission slips that the parents had to fill in. And here's some of the questions. They had to list medical conditions, including do they have colour blindness, sleepwalking, bedwetting. I mean, this is for a 90-minute um, afternoon visit to a museum. Does your child have to take medication? And it has to be all medication will be stored with a designated adult. Uh, is a healthcare plan required? Has your child had any major illnesses like glandular fever? Uh, are they allergic to penicillin? Has your child been in contact with any infectious disease in the last month? Does your child have any particular eating requirements? I mean, I thought you couldn't eat in museums, but apparently you can. Are there any other medical details that we should be aware of? Uh, name a family doc. I mean, this is a, this is a full-on form. I mean, it would take a parent about 15 minutes to fill out by the time they check all the details. And this is for a 90-minute trip to a museum. But, hey, if a, if a child suddenly says, uh, 
you know, I want to change my sex or I want to, I want an abortion or, um, you know, I want to go on puberty blockers. Suddenly parents are out of the picture, no details, no checking, uh, you know, Hey, I want a vaccination because everyone else is getting it. And suddenly parents are excluded from the process. That's, that's a dangerous message to families. And I think parents, we need to take back some of that uh, power and responsibility because the, the danger is it's not necessarily just the message that parents are getting that the state is actually in control and it's not you, but it's the message that our kids are getting. Uh, basically, what our kids are receiving, the message they're receiving is, if you don't like the decision your parents made, <laughs> there's other options, come to the state because uh, we'll, we'll look after you. I mean, um, th there is another example of legislation that we're just about to send out some information on, and that's around uh, birth death uh, marriages, a bill that's been considered. And, and in it, uh, for a birth certificate, a child can change the sex on their own birth certificate. For a child up to and including the age of 15, they do it with their parents' permission. Uh, for a 16 or 17-year-old, the proposed law that's been considered, you don't actually need parental consent. Uh, so once again, you know, one, there's this idea that you can change your sex and that you can change a document that records what happened at birth and maybe the doctor got it or the midwife got it wrong. That's the first problem. But the second problem is that parents, uh, here's another example of parents being taken out of the picture. And so this this idea that the state raises your child is is increasing because I think once the state starts enroaching in on family life, they don't know where to stop. And parents, we need to put our hand up and tell them where to stop. So there's probably a few things to actually tease um, out there. In fact, just on the births, deaths and marriages, uh, one, I would argue, actually, for a child from year zero to, did you say 16, um, seeking to change their sex? Let's take the biological aspect out that, well, you can't. Mm. <laughs> Let's be clear about that. Um, I better change your gender. Um, actually, I'm going to just quickly riff on that. I would argue in the 50s and 60s, um, the notions of gender and sex were separated um, by the then feminist movement to try and say sex is one thing, gender is another. And certainly um, I was, if you will, inculcated or affected by that in the 80s. That was very much what we were being taught uh, at schools. But it's funny how it's now fused back together uh, in more recent years. Um, it's now both have become almost um, synonymous, connected. So just as we once said you could change your gender, which I can sort of understand, um, now you can change your sex, which is just quite remarkable to me. Um, who knew? But I, off tangent, though, is 16 and under, I don't actually think the child does know. I think it's the parent imposing their viewpoint, actually. Um, now, that can still draw us into, you know, parental rights and so forth. But I just think it's fascinating. Is a couple of times you said, you know, the child can apply, the child can say they want to change. Well, again, I think it's more often the parents um, who are particularly something like that imposed on on the kids. So I just think it's for me a, a small segue. That the wider point, as you say, is around that whole consent issue, and it's the arbitrary nature for me, Bob, which you've well highlighted. Um, kid going to the museum, 
uh, a child need in a Panadol? The paperwork, the requirements are, are enormous. Um, I've, you know, because my wife's a teacher, have gone on some school trips to support her classes. So we're all carrying backpacks with more food and medicines and supplies and phone numbers and you could poke a stick at. But so, yeah, huge amount of requirements on one side and yet nothing on what are arguably more serious issues. Um, it was the Hillary Kreft petition around the abortion um, I don't know if people are aware of this, and you might want to uh, extrapolate a bit of what Hillary experienced with her daughter having gone for an abortion um, without her knowing, without her consent, uh, and what happened from there. I mean, do you care to elaborate on that one? It was somewhat in the papers a few years ago. Yeah, it was part of a campaign, and it was um, not just specific to Hillary. It was uh, a number of parents where children have been sneaked off for an abortion and the parents haven't known about it, seen a change in behaviour, seen a change um, just in their child completely and then find out down the track or after uh, perhaps an attempted suicide or, or you know, some, some uh, complication as a result of the abortion, uh, finding out that actually the child had got permission from the school, had been sneaked off and, and of course, that is totally legal. And this parental consent, tends to be taken away when it's in the interests of the state. So when it's in the interests of uh, teenagers able to have an abortion or change their gender on their birth certificate or have puberty blockers, suddenly the state knows everything. But if it's about when to take a Panadol or um, you know making sure you're okay when you visit the museum for 90 minutes on a school trip, suddenly, oh, no, it's all the, state, uh, the parents' responsibility and they're the, pe they're the people we're going to call if anything goes wrong because they can come and fix up the mess. So as you can see, the state is primarily interested in taking away authority when it's they have a vested interest in it. And so the, the whole sexuality and gender ideology, the critical race theory, um, that that is kind of the state wanting to indoctrinate our kids, and you know, well, it's I, arbitrary the, the and it's ideological. As you say, the examples you're using, where the state comes barreling in, it's in areas of ideology. As you say, that they're not prepared to um, intervene unilaterally on Panadol dispensation, mm. um, but yeah, abortion, uh, sexuality, uh, medical interventions, and you're going, oh. Um, Again, I just don't know at times that parents are, are fully aware because it's just sort of it's almost the slow boil um, at at times. I mean, going to sort of well, higher. They don't have the parents on side. I think that's the key thing is that uh, in all of these issues, if they actually ask parents what they wanted, they would find that they don't have support. So they have to do it, kind of in this indoctrination behind the parents' back. That that that's the problem. Uh, and I think, you know, um, if, if they surveyed parents, I mean, it was one of our arguments with the anti-smacking law back in 2007. We said, look, if it's such a great idea, if it's, it's, if it's guaranteed to reduce child abuse rates, which it hasn't, of course, if it is, why can't you get the population of New Zealand on side? Because we all want to deal with our unacceptable child abuse rates. Why can't you get parents on side? Now, that's the same challenge that I would give to schools and to educators and to the government. If your idea of young girls wearing chest binders and going on puberty blockers is so great and it's in their best interests, why can't you get mainstream New Zealand on side with it? 
why can't you get mainstream New Zealand on side with agreeing with the fact that actually it's okay for a teenager to be sneaked off for an abortion and for mum and dad not to be even told about it. Look, we all know that mum and dad will be upset. Of course they will. It's because they love the child and they want what's best. And no, nobody wants their young child pregnant and having to have an abortion. But once again, it's this, well, it's the nanny state. And we, we're creeping back to the nanny. Well, nanny state is creeping into families. And uh, previously it was kind of like, Parents, you need to understand that the state knows better than you how to raise your kids. The problem now is that we're having younger generations coming up with this kind of ingrained belief that actually parents aren't in charge. Yeah, they they can pay the bills and you know they can provide the food and they can provide the clothing and the and the pay the school fees, but actually the state will raise your child and will tell your child what to believe and what not to believe. Uh, you know, it even goes down to for example, curriculums on climate change, <clears throat> rather than, you know, and this is a non-moral issue, climate change, rather than presenting both sides, uh, there's kind of this indoctrination pushing only one direction with no ability for people to disagree or say, well, hang on, what about the other side of the debate? And actually, that was one of the questions we asked in our polling around the critical race theory. We said, do you want your children to be given both sides of the debate, or do you want schools to determine which side of the debate is best for the child to hear? Well, you probably know what the answer was, what the parents said. They said, actually, we want our kids to hear both sides so that they can develop logical reasoning and can learn how to argue and debate for their side of, of what they believe. But what the state is saying is, actually, we don't want you to hear the contrary view. We just want you to hear our view. and that's see that's what's underlying the whole hate speech legislation mm -hmm. it is that we have a certain view as the state and if you think or say anything contrary then we're going to look to see if that's actually hate speech and that somebody's going to be offended by it and hey it's not hard to find anybody that's going to be offended by something these days i mean it's almost becoming a career choice uh, my <laughs> career is to be offended <laughs> yeah, well, it shuts shuts down debate. I mean, look, again, it, it reflects sort of my, I suppose, upbringing and philosophy and politics of that the state shouldn't be the biggest actor um, and it shouldn't dictate um, how life is is run. But we are seeing it more and more. The state controls more and more. And I, I despair almost literally of how many people in New Zealand and elsewhere just accept uh, that, and then particularly in the realm of, of children, um, yeah, I just find it mind-boggling that people would hand over that level of control. And I fear the day they wake up and realise just how much they've given over will be uh, too late, which is why I think it's important podcasts like this to sort of bang the drum to wake a few people up, to be honest, and say, look, why is it that you're handing so much over? Because that's one of my arguments, uh, Bob, when people talk to me around, oh, well, you know, um, you know, the parents shouldn't have to dictate to their children that, you know, the children are not um, objects or um, commodities of their families. You go, okay, okay, if we accept that, then who is making the decision for the 12-year-old? Because no rational person can tell me that a 12-year-old has full cognitive abilities to understand decision-making. So if it's not the parents, who is it? And so, you know, fundamentally, people who advocate for this erosion of parental rights are saying, 
oh, well, the doctor, the nurse that they've only just met knows my children better. The state knows better. A bunch of politicians, we know better. I mean, it's, it's absolute madness. The, the thinking is just so weak. But that comes to your hate speech point because they legislate for these controversial areas that you cannot discuss and debate them. Safe spaces around abortion clinics, hate speech legislation, the conversion therapy is just a, basically a way to stop conversation. The legal changes around consent. Um, yeah, it's, it's actually quite um, scary, for want of a better word. Well, it's, it's denial of neuroscience because if you speak to any uh, neuroscience specialist, they will tell you that the cognitive ability of a young person to make decisions actually probably doesn't mature totally until between 21 to 25. In fact, one of the arguments around the legalization of cannabis was if you're going to legalize it, set the age at 25 because that's yeah. probably when uh, you're going to do least harm to, to the brain. Uh, in terms of of neural development, uh, and you know that's why parents do make these decisions. And the state, <clears throat> in effect, the state already acknowledges that a child's mind is not fully developed. That's why they can't vote until they're eighteen. They can't drive until they're sixteen. They can't uh, drink until they're eighteen. Uh, you know, there's all these age they can't get legally. Legally, uh, they they're... can't drink. <laughs> yes, legally they can't. Yes, and, and that's why because the. Uh, because when those laws were made, the this, this state was backing up parents. You know, I always think that the law should back up uh, parents and families. That That's the bit that bugged me about the uh, vaccine advice being given by the Ministry of Health. Whatever your view on the vaccine, the bit that bugged me was the fact that rather than the Ministry of Health working with parents to say, hey, we will persuade you one way or the other, or we will work with you to understand both sides of the issues and why a certain um, decision is the best decision for your family. They they weren't saying that. They were saying, hey, 12 to 15-year-olds, we'll, we'll deal with this in our way. Don't worry about your parents because actually you don't need their consent. Now, that's a, that's a really undermining statement to be made by the government, Ministry of Health. And, you know, I think every parent listening to this, watching this, will say, yeah, I don't want people coming into my child's life and deliberately undermining my decisions as a parent without at least discussing it with me and without at least working with me to come to some solution. I, I read an interesting article, actually, um, a couple of days ago, which was by a lawyer about what happens if the parents, if you have two parents who disagree about whether a child should be vaccinated. And it was interesting about just talking about the interesting um, dynamic that ultimately the parents are responsible for the decision, which was nice of him to admit that. Uh, but at the same time, he was saying there's an interesting dynamic when you have a kind of a split within the family. And, and his advice was, well, when you do that, you need to go into mediation and you may end up, I think it was in the in the family court. I mean, there are provisions around that in the Care of Children Bill and the Oranga Tamariki um, legislation as well. But that underlying message is that actually we want to work with parents to get the right solution for the child. This new legislation, which we've identified already, and it continues to come at families at 100 miles an hour, is coming from a different angle. It's not saying we're going to work with the family. It says we're going to work with your child and give them the the ability to make the decisions they want to, irrespective of you, your views. Now, you know, that 
that fails to recognise the role of families, um, and that that's headed for the disaster because the state make terrible parents. Oh, look, they have done. Again, I always am saying on these podcasts and debates in Parliament, look at history. You know, there's there's nothing new. We've, we've been here before. But I think you've actually summed up a lot of the theme here. It's the difference between once where the state used to back parents versus now they're replacing yes. parents. Um, and I think that's, for me, a really important uh, concept. As I say, the state used to back parents to make your decisions to raise your children as you saw fit. Now they, they seek to replace it, which is, again, why you see so much of the ideology um, coming through. I think the other side of it is, as well is <clears throat> I've had this debate online over recent days uh, when I've raised the issue around consent for children, around vaccinations. Um, and some have said, look, I just think it's wrong if you have an anti-vax parent stopping a child get the vaccinations. Now, I can actually understand that um, as someone happy to declare it, thinks vaccination's good. I think you should always talk to your kid and all of that stuff. But you look at it and go, yep, that could happen. But, you know, that's the price we pray, pay for freedom uh, in our parenting relationships. Uh, you don't get to tell me how to raise my kids. And the other side of the deal is I don't get the chance to tell you how to raise your kids. Uh, and I've, I've found that's been fascinating. And again, the online debate, particularly around the vaccination, is yeah, I can see why a parent's upset that another family might not do what they agree with, but they haven't had enough brain power to flip it round to go, well, how would you feel if another family came in and start dictating to you how you should act? Again, the price of freedom is that different families will make different choices for themselves. Um, and that's, that's okay, actually, because if you replace that freedom, which comes with all that mess, you end up with something slightly more tyrannical, and that's not really good at all. Well, I think as a society, we've become slightly immature in our ability, in our ability to accept diverse opinion. And I mean, uh, Family First has been a classic victim of that because, you know, they're still trying to deregister us. We've just had our hearing in the Supreme Court. Uh, we, we won in the Court of Appeal and, and then the government wanted to appeal it still wanted to deregister us, so into the Supreme Court we went, and uh, now we're waiting on a decision which could take up to a year, we don't know. But, you know, what I say to other groups who, you know, perhaps, or people who perhaps are cheering when they hear that Family First is being deregistered, is I say to them, yeah, look, it may be okay at the moment, but what happens if, for example, there was a tyrannical government that decided to shut down your side of the debate and shut down mm. the organisations that you like? You'd, you'd be upset as well, uh, and quite rightly so. So, you know, it goes back to the, the statement that, you know, you may disagree with people, but you, re, you will defend their right to speak up. But we've, as a society, we seem to have lost that ability. And unfortunately, uh, our main, or I call them lamestream media, are aiding and abetting it because they're shutting down debate. They're not allowing comments on certain issues. Uh, they won't even cover certain sides of the issues um and oh, you saw that you saw frank, that with the um was it the cannabis referendum cannabis there was yeah, some independent <clears throat> yeah it was showed that um was it 80 percent or something was for it like what was the stats it was about two to one uh in favor <clears throat> of the yes vote on the cannabis referendum but what we the worst part we were finding was that they weren't reporting both sides. So they'd do articles and they were just heavily stacked. We were submitting op-eds and they just weren't listening to us. 
Um, if you think that was bad, we're going to be doing an analysis of the coverage of the conversion therapy issue. I tell you what, it is atrocious. They are just not giving the contrary side unless they want to uh, have a dig at, at your colleague Simon Bridges or you know someone who does put their head above the pit or even the, the National Party for suggesting that they don't support the law at the moment because it's deeply flawed, which it is. Uh, and so, you know, you are the, the National Party uh, public enemy number one, according to the media. Um, they they just don't, are not giving a fair balance. Now, the problem is that, sure, it's just the media, but it, it, it filters down into society that we get to the point that we can't hear both sides. And this is the part that bothers me about the the whole vaccination issue, the COVID issue, whatever side you fall on as to whether the vaccination is a solution, the problem is that we're not allowed to have a discussion on it because if you come from a certain side, you're immediately shut down. You're immediately deplatformed. And that, that cancel culture amongst such an important health issue, I go back to my original statement, the question, that I asked during the smacking debate and that I asked during the puberty blocker debate and, and all these debates is, if it's such a great idea, why can't you get the majority of New Zealanders on side? Um, shutting down of the debate doesn't solve the problem. In fact, it probably makes it worse and it makes everybody very antsy and, and suspicious, and rightly so. And I think that it... A reason to come back and have a discussion another day because you know we don't have the richness um, of debate. You're, you're almost enforcing. Well, not sorry, not you. There's always a great awkwardness in the English language, um, but th there's an enforcing of a, a monological or a singular view. Um, I've experienced yeah. it in politics as well in trying to get news stories or op-eds into to media. They're not interested in a conservative uh, no. viewpoint. No. And I suppose that's my encouragement to people is why they need to read much more widely, um, you know, what you are getting in media by and large is, is on a single track. Um, so, yeah, read much more widely. Hey, we better wrap up uh, there. But, hey, thanks, too, for touching on your charitable status. If people yeah. didn't pick up on it, uh, Family First is a charity, uh, but the government's tried to uh, deregister them because they don't like, I would suggest to you, what Family First has to say. Uh, Bob and the crew have fought them now all the way to the Supreme Court, but might I just draw that point you made out, Bob? For those who celebrate it, who don't like Family First View, just do the thought experiment. What is What would it be like if the government had turned its guns, for want of a better term, on you, on that other charity? Because I know a few other groups are watching this very, very closely on whole different topics, Bob, because they go, gosh, if the government can just push you out because they don't like your view... Um, who's next? Crazy. Oh, that, that's that's my warning to uh, other groups is that if they succeed against us, then they're going to come looking for other groups that have weird ideas like Family First, that actually drugs are harmful and that marriage is good and that parents um, should have responsibility for their children. I mean, how radical, how dangerous. We need to get rid of all groups that have those whack job views. Uh you know, that's a dangerous environment to live in. So so while we're pushing for drug-free and we don't want to legalise harmful drugs, other charities, charities like the Helen Clark Foundation and the Drug Foundation are free to campaign and not be investigated or deregistered. 
So there's, and getting a lot of the, government money, by the way. The New Zealand Drug Foundation gets lots of New Zealand yes. taxpayer oh, yes. funds. So, again, I think this is yeah. the encouragement to listeners is you've really got to dig around on just about every topic. There'll be different views on everything we've discussed today, but that's good. Yeah. An array mm. of views. Um, but I suppose when we come back even to link it to the parental consent, we're replacing the broad range of families and views with one that's uh, state controlled. Hey, Bob, thank you so much for your time. Keep up your important work. As I said at the start, I don't know how you juggle and balance the lot, but uh, thanks for making the time to come and chat with us today. Oh, good, Simon. Good to be on your show. A pleasure. See you next time.